bringing you a common sense and fresh perspective to creating a just society. This is Common Sense on Social Justice. You'll get equipped with the tools you need to carry out social justice right where you are. Now, here's the host of Common Sense on Social Justice, Michael Davis. And thank you so much for joining us on this episode. And we're so glad that you've decided to join us again. It shows that you are definitely interested in making a difference in your world. Uh, I'm excited about today's episode because this is the beginning of a three-part series uh, with a longtime friend of mine, Jay Vincent. And he's agreed to be a guest on these next three episodes as we talk about something that we really haven't touched on in the past, and that is injustice when it comes to the court systems. And we'll get into a lot of depth about that and what Jay does around that in his life. But first of all, Jay, I just want to welcome you. And thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Mike. I'm very glad to be here and definitely proud to be connected with you. And, and uh, thank you for your friendship. Oh, yeah, for sure. We've been friends. Gosh, I don't know how many years it's been now. It's been quite a long time, but it's been quite a journey. It's just not a typical friendship, but we've been through a lot together. Kept each other going through a lot of Roger that. Rough times. So uh, as we get started in talking about injustice in the court systems, and what Jay does, and by the way, uh, we'll talk more about it later in this episode, but Jay is an advocate in the court systems in America for people with disabilities, especially people with invisible disabilities. And we'll talk about that, uh, what that means later on. Let Jay define that for us. But, you know, I was reflecting as I prepared for this episode on the history of injustice in the court systems if you're a, a person who reads the Bible, who happens to be listening, you know that in the the Old Testament of the Bible, the ancient prophets of Israel repeatedly warned against corrupt judges and corruption in the court systems. Israel has had a long history in ancient times, especially of corruption in their court systems, and the prophets would come along and warn them that uh, uh, some bad karma is coming their way because of that. And then Jesus in the Gospels get, tells parables about unjust judges. And so it was obviously prevalent in his day as well. And then when you get into our time, our day and age, we have in the United States a Declaration of Independence. Now, if it's been a while since you've read the Declaration of Independence, it is a, includes a long list of grievances against the King of England and why they wanted to declare themselves independent from England's authority. And there is a long list of grievances against King George, especially around the court systems, because he had tweaked the court system so that unless you were a friend of the government, you were in trouble. Uh, they rigged the juries, rigged the judges, rigged the outcomes. And so it was interesting that our nation was founded on as a reaction to corruption in the court systems, which seems historically humorous now, to put it lightly, because now we deal with those same corruptions in our own court systems uh, here in America. Now, Jay... To, to get yes. you talking, get your feedback, what about the court system of America in general? Is it corrupt in, in just pockets, or what's the general uh, health of the court systems here? 
I think we have the best system in in the world in America. I think uh, if you're if you're an oligarch and and you're one of the rulers, I think we have a great system. If you're one of the people, I think we have the worst system. And uh, if you if you find yourself on the receiving end of a summons or a, a charge or a subpoena, something like that, and you have to go into court, I think that uh, I think that you should be afraid, very afraid. And I don't see the court in America as an impartial adjudicator, but rather as an adverse party. And so uh, that's that's been my position for some time. I'm just starting to really uh, see that on a regular basis. And I don't believe it's confirmation bias on my part. I believe I've uh, I've tried to find fairness and, and I've done so for so long and, and failed to find uh, a system that's totally fair here um, that uh, I've just, you know, I've just given up and, and said, look, this is the way it is in my in my experience and, and understanding. Okay. Yeah. And in- interesting. And by the way, I want to give a little caveat here before we continue. A couple months ago, I uh, contracted COVID-19 and pneumonia alongside with it, and I ended up in the hospital, uh, nearly died. But fortunately, I'm healed and uh, doing very well now. But from time to time, you may hear a slight cough or a clearing of the throat, and that's just the after effects. So I just want to apologize for that ahead of time. But uh, yeah, it's interesting that you would say that uh, for the people, because again, as I mentioned before, that that's the very reason that the founding fathers gave for declaring independence from England. It was those very things uh, that you just mentioned. So um, would you say it's been a, a historically historically that way, the way you just described it, or is this a recent phenomenon? Well, I mean, it, the, the the very basis of our court system is is skewed in that uh, the accuser in the courts is the state, and the judge works for the same state, and mm. uh, the bar is operated by the state, and there, there are all kinds of problems with this uh, connection to the state in the courtroom. Uh, the the person that's being charged is uh, entitled to a, a fair and impartial jury. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you look at someone's criminal charges, it'll say something like the state of Oregon versus, mm-hmm. you know, John Doe. Right. And uh, so one of the first questions I would ask when I when I find uh, jury members that are potentials, I would say, are you one of the one of the persons of the state of Oregon? If you are, how can you be my accuser and an impartial adjudicator? Yeah. And I would ask the judge that, too. And I've done it. I've done this in court. And it's uh that's an awkward situation, a bit of a standoff. What's their but, reaction? Uh, do what now? What's their reaction? <clears throat> well, uh, you know, their reaction is, uh, uh, yes, I'm, I'm, I, I asked the judge, I said, I, do I have the right to face my accuser? Yes. I said, well, who is my accuser? He says, the state of North Carolina. And I was in North Carolina at the time. And, and I said, factually, what is the state of North Carolina? He says, I don't know, me, you, everybody. And I mean, at that point in time, I had him admitting on the record that he was my accuser. And in North Carolina, there was a right to a trial de novo, which means, you know, if you don't like the verdict in district court, you can always appeal it immediately and then go to uh, mm-hmm. Superior Court and it'll yeah. be a new trial. And I, uh, in North Carolina, they were not accustomed to having the district court recorded. 
Well, I brought my own court reporter in there, certified court reporter. <clears throat> so I had this on the record, and I could have gone to Superior Court and subpoenaed that judge and had him testify that he was my accuser trying me in a lower court and got, you know, had the whole matter thrown out. Instead, this guy, he, uh, and I like this judge actually, but, uh, he, he just did not adjudicate the case. He, he wouldn't say guilty and he wouldn't say not guilty. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, uh, he left it in limbo. And I mean, it's still in limbo if you oh, go wow. check my record in North Carolina. So, wow. Now, I think you answered one of my questions already. The next question is how fair, how legal, and how moral is the American court system? And if you don't live in America, by the way, uh, who's listening in, um, uh, forgive us. We're just speaking from a perspective that we have here. But I think you've already answered the question how fair it is, which doesn't sound like it's fair at all, especially with that interesting concept that the judge— and the uh, prosecutor is being, basically, they get their same paycheck, paycheck from the same place, the state. And, of course, the prosecutor is helping in the selection of the jury. So, wow, it sounds pretty stacked. But to follow up on that question, how legal and how moral is the court system? Because aren't they to follow the laws and enforce the laws? Well, you know, uh Years ago, I had to take a really long, hard look at Romans 13, 1 and 2 and, and uh-huh. what it says about the government. And it says, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there's no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and bringeth to himself damnation. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing is, there is no there is no exclusion in those verses for judges prosecutors, mm-hmm. government actors. There's no there's no exclusion in there. And if they're not subject to the power of God, then then I don't believe that they're ordained of God. That's just my personal right. opinion. I'm yeah, not yeah. trying to be anybody's priest or yeah, yeah. or uh you know, religious guide. I I, uh, I I had to go through this myself. Is this something that I believe that I'm supposed to obey if they're if they're not subject to the power of God? And in my own heart I, I felt that my, my safe secure and solid answer was no. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is, is because there is a, a blatant disregard for fairness and morality. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a, a intentional obfuscation of and, and, and interference with the average person, man mm-hmm. or woman, mm-hmm. uh, knowing the law and knowing how to navigate the system. I mean, I can't tell you how many times a judge uh, will tell someone, you know, I've seen them do this, that, well, you're going to have to get a lawyer. If you don't understand what's going on here, you need to get a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And uh, what that does, it allows the court system to run the way it wants to without accountability. We're going to get more into accountability uh, in, in these segments. But uh, the the thing is, it's, uh, it's a good old boy system, good old boy, good old girl system. Uh-huh. And so uh, the morality... The morality piece is that, uh, uh, you know, what Solomon did. Solomon was a just judge, and he weighed the matter in his own heart. Well, judges today, it's all about money, and it's yeah. not. It's not a. Uh, it, there's no uh, concern with actual justice. So, is it moral? You know, I'm. I'm nobody's moral compass, but in my own mind, 
I feel like it's just corrupt as can be. Yeah. Yeah, so. and, I, and I've seen that. I've represented the homeless, not as an attorney, but uh, <clears throat> hired attorneys and was there in court proceedings with homeless, both in state and federal courts. And, man, you know, it's stacked. And even being uh, in an elevator with a federal or with a uh, city attorney that we were going up against the city on a particular matter, and city attorney and I happened to be in the same elevator going upstairs to the courtroom, and, man, right in the elevator he says he's going to do whatever it took to destroy me and this and i thought wow this is kind of a not a very moral situation here you know uh, in that now people don't just randomly get involved in things you know there's a history there's a reason a uh, reason why i have passion for for the oppressed that i do and there's a story behind that but how did you get involved in so passionate in the court system for people with disabilities well um I think the the question was how did I get involved in the court system? I yeah. can't hear you that well, but yes. uh, mm-hmm. the um, you know early on, uh, I've had PD, P, PTSD most of my life and didn't know it. Uh, didn't mm-hmm. know what it was, um, in other words, and uh, what you know really uh, kind of seared me as a child was when somebody told me they loved me and then they turned around and, you know, uh, beat the hell out of me and left me laying bloody legs on the floor. Right. And, um, you know, it, it just, it caused me to question every construct that combined love and morality and, and, uh, uh, authoritarianism. It just caused me to start questioning. Well, yeah, of course. But wow. Later on in life, um, I, uh, you know, we had a house. I was married. We had a house. Um, yeah, I, I had already learned a little bit about how the law worked. Uh, it was just something I was interested in and gravitated towards. And when when I was uh, going through a second layoff, there was a point in time where I'm like, well, you know, I need to really figure out what the deal is with this mortgage and how to how to uh, you know, transition out of the situation that I'm in. And I started looking at things and there was, uh, there was fraud that was involved with the mortgage piece. So I started pursuing that and I was right and actually should have won my case and, uh, have much of that recorded and, and preserved. But I was just, I was stomped on. I was crushed financially, 80% plus equity just down the drain. Wow. And I had fought for a year and a half and it just, it it took me into a place where I was just, I was in recoil from the system. You know, I didn't, and and my uh, late friend and mentor, Dr. Huffer coined the term legal abuse syndrome. And I didn't know I had it at that time, but boy, did I ever. Yeah. And so um, I just started learning how the system worked and, learned uh, a method of my own method of uh, legal Aikido, I guess is, is how I term it, but uh, don't really say that a whole lot, but it's kind of like redirecting energy. So mm-hmm. um, and when I found out that uh, the, the people who sit four feet above everyone else, the judges uh, have that they act as if they're threatening and, and bullying and, Oh yeah, all that stuff. And when I saw some stuff that that really made them squirm, 
Oh, that that interested me, you know, because <laughs> yeah, you know, these, these are people that you know that everybody's afraid of, and and I just I, I kind of started seeing things that, that that made them really uncomfortable, and so I just started to drill down on those, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, one thing led to another, and I've I've learned quite a few tricks on how to uh, how to, to you know basically turn a court upside down, and I'll tell you this. Courts mm-hmm. need to be turned upside down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because uh, if you go into a court expecting a judge to rule in your favor and you, and you don't know who you are and who has the burden of proof and, and you're arguing yes. mm-hmm. and you don't have your remedy documented, you, you're not going to walk out of there a happy camper, period. Right. right. That's a good point. I'm glad you brought that up. Now, uh, there's a particular case I want us to look at in a, a couple moments. But first, tell us a little bit about what you do with people with disabilities, especially people with invisible disabilities. And because we're going to hear that phrase from you a lot, I think, invisible disabilities. But what do you do in the courts with those people? And could you explain to us briefly what is an invisible disability? Well, so uh, I'm, I'm a certified Americans with Disabilities Act advocate for litigants with invisible disabilities. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a, a training course that Dr. Hupper put together. She ran it through John Jay College of Criminal Justice. It's an accredited institution. There was a certificate program that was, mm-hmm. you know, with that. And, and I went through that and got my certificate. And uh, what I do I, with that, I tell people that I work in a hostile work environment because I, I go into court and I tell judges, you have to give my client ADA rights. And you can't threaten, intimidate, coerce, or interfere with those rights. Uh, And you can't threaten, intimidate, coerce, or interfere with me aiding and encouraging those rights. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a really awkward situation. Oh, oh, and and by the way, Judge, you have no immunity when it comes to this. Wow. So, uh, you know, the judicial immunity, there was just a case that just came out. I just saw it on on a blog I follow. I don't even remember the name of the case, but it talked to uh, state immunity. And, and of course, Tennessee versus Lane talks to that, too. But uh, the judicial immunity of a judge, of a state judge, flows from the state's sovereign immunity. So, you know, it's just uh, it's a it's an unfortunate, uh, awkward situation for a judge to come face to face with somebody like me that knows how to. uh, point them in a direction that, that their robe is just yanked off for a yeah. minute because yeah. they're in the administrative and not in the judicial. Wow. I, be, I bet that is awkward. Uh, thanks for what you do. Now, we've got about 10 minutes left, so we've got some time to talk. Uh, I want to talk about a significant case. Uh, and, it, and the reason why I want to talk about this case, it really hones in on what you do. And, and, you know, why people should be picking up the mantle like you have and doing this. Um, but a significant breach happened in the courts in Tennessee uh, in the case of Tennessee versus Lane. And I thought it was interesting that a very mouth-dropping set of circumstances were surrounding this case. But one particular circumstance is that, you know, a paralyzed man was forced to crawl upstairs on his hands in a court in order to appear in court and keep from being arrested. And I want to talk about this case with you, what surrounded the case, what's the significance of this, and especially in relation to your work with those 
who have an invisible disabilities. So can you talk about well, that Tennessee versus Lane? Yes, it's uh, it, this case was decided in 2004. And uh, the 19, in 1990, the, the ADA was passed. And there were several cases that tried to water down the ADA, make it, make it weak, make it, you know, inapplicable. Um, and, uh, Tennessee versus Lane, like you said, it, it involves, uh, George Lane and Beverly Jones. They, they were both, uh, uh, paraplegics and used wheelchairs. And, uh, one of them, I think George Lane was, uh, probably, I think he had charges. Uh, and Jones was a certified court reporter. Uh, like I was telling you, you know, mm-hmm. I took in one of my, you know, several of my cases actually, but uh, they couldn't get up to the second floor. And so they, uh, they sued and the, the state moved to dismiss on, on the ground. It was barred by the 11th amendment, you know, with the, uh, uh, immunity state's mm-hmm. immunity. Oh yeah. And, uh, so anyway, it went all the way to the Supreme court. The Supreme court's question was that, that was, was immunity rightfully, uh, abrogated in, in the ADA. And they say, yeah, we, we, we hold that it was. So, I mean, they, you know, that just says, you know, if, if you're dealing with a 42 U.S. Code 12202, you know, if you're dealing with a uh, an ADA case and, and you're a judge, you know, you're in a position of being exposed. And if I'm in your courtroom and, and you deny me or my client access, I'm going to see to it that the if I can, I'm going to see to it that we go to federal court. I'd like to I'd like to get you on the stand, and I'm working on that right now. So you know we'll see we'll see how that goes. But uh, yeah, I think it I think it'd be a whole lot of fun to uh, get a, <laughs> get a judge on the stand and ask him uh, why he's you know why why he likes to discriminate, why he likes to uh, you know deny equal access, and 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 you know what his problem is. Yeah. Yeah, but, uh, this, this this case this case kind of sealed it up that the immunity of the state was waived by the uh, not waived but abrogated by the ADA. So uh, that's what's going on. The state has no immunity when it comes to ADA claims. Yeah, and uh, you know if you invoke it right, it makes judges nervous. Mm-hmm. I yeah. like nervous judges. I yeah yes. Well, we all need to be held honest and be made to, to be honest. And I appreciate you doing that because it can be awkward. I've had to confront authorities myself uh, in my work with the homeless, and it gets very awkward. Um, I asked a police officer one time who was taking the possessions of a homeless uh, in a homeless camp without the, taking the proper steps to do so. And I said, uh, could I have asked the police officer if i could have his home address and he asked me why and i said well i plan to come to your house this weekend and if you're working in your garage and garage doors open i'm just going to come in and start taking some of your things so i can use them and he's like you can't do that i'd have you arrested and i was like that's exactly what you're doing right now uh to these these folks because there are certain protocols if i wanted to borrow something from him i'd have to ask him right properly and i said there's also protocols in place for dealing with homeless camps as well and then now you're telling judges hey there's protocols in place there's dignity for people in place and you got to honor that so i I love that now are you seeing positive results in the work you're doing 
It's slow, but yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. Uh, w- one of the main things that I see is that when I get a judge in an awkward position, uh, I'm, I'm wanting to have a client that's willing to go into federal court and sue a judge. But mm-hmm. a lot of people enjoy, uh, you know, that I help. They enjoy, uh, and I, I can relate with this. They, they want to deboard the plane at thirty thousand feet. So, oh yeah. If they, yeah. If, if they get a small victory, they they want to run. You know, it's time to get off the plane. You know, well that was that was good enough for me. We need to go now. You know, yeah. because <laughs> uh, I, I kind of felt the same way after my Portland ordeal. But, uh, um, yeah, it's. Um, I, I am seeing some some wins. I am seeing some gradual progression, and uh, you know it's 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 hopeful and promising if we can keep it rolling. Yes, that's great to hear that. And I can only imagine do uh, the change that you're making in people's lives because now they're not alone in the courtroom and this. And you know the fact is most people when they go into courtrooms they don't know their rights and, and how the laws stand. So it's great that someone like you uh, is joining them in that fight. So uh, that's it for this episode. Is there anything you want to say in closing, Jay? Always, always question everything. Good. Yeah, that's how I've made progress in my life, in my personal life and interior is question, question, question. Very good. Well, Uh, I'm glad you joined us as a listener today. I hope this has been eye-opening for you. The purpose of this episode was not to put tools in your hands, but just to open your eyes to a reality that you probably have not thought about, is people with disabilities having to deal with the court system. And so we've got two more episodes coming up, and I hope you will join me and Jay next time. In the next episode, we're going to get into more detail on injustices in the court system for people with disabilities and get into more nitty-gritty things among that but we're glad you joined us and we hope you have a blessed day you've been listening to common sense on social justice with your host michael davis a common sense and fresh perspective to creating justice where you are Share your comments and questions with Michael by emailing sjcommonsense at gmail.com. That's sjcommonsense at gmail.com.